1: Hello and welcome to Local Zero with Becky, Matt and Fraser. My voice has finally returned and I am delighted to welcome you all to our final episode of 2023, a review of the past year and all things climate, energy and community action.
0: Yes, I can't quite believe it's been an entire year since we recorded our 2022 wrapped episode. To be honest, it has been a very big year for all of us personally, professionally, and also on the podcast.
2: Yes, but before we get too sentimental a reminder that we do love it when our listeners get involved in the conversation whether that's via x brackets twitter at local zero pod, or via email for longer form thoughts local zero at gmail.com
0: and as you'll have heard at the very beginning local zero is looking for new funding to keep it going And if the pod has helped you with your work or studies please do get in touch to let us know And if you know anybody else who might like Local Zero, please do share the podcast with them. Word of mouth really helps us more than you might think. Okay, cue Christmas cracker jokes, um, jingle, (laughs) audio, indents, whatever you call them. How are we? Are we ready for the end of the year?
1: No. No?
0: (laughs) No. Okay, Christmas is (laughs) cancelled. You've
2: been listening to Local Zero. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Scrooge McDuck. Um, no, I mean, it has has been quite the year. So, I mean, it's no small feat that we're going to have to try and wrap 2023 into a tiny little bow. So I don't know how you both feel about that.
1: I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a lot in there. And I think you said before we started recording this, Matt, like anything pre-September, you just It's gone, blank memory, wiped, wiped clean, completely blank.
0: Yeah, and why? I mean, I do as I was joking before. I can, I personally blame Elon Musk for this because I haven't used Twitter (laughs) really since then, and by extension, I, (laughs) I I use that as a second memory, and now it's gone. And it's not just like the remainder of 2023 but like the, the previous 5 years so <laughs> quite worrying really it's
1: like it never happened <laughs>
0: never happened no um yeah i mean look we are we're here 2023 we are also um waking up this morning to some fairly major announcements from cop 28 the conference of the parties the big climate change summit in the uae um so we know what's happened i'm not sure we quite made sense of what's happened but any quick hot takes on what we've heard this morning i
2: it feels feels copy doesn't it feels feels like copy again copy cop i think out. <laughs> i don't yeah I, I don't mean it too facetiously yeah. but it's that that process that happens all the time and the you know the the headlines versus where the exciting stuff tends to happen you know seem to be a bit of a i mismatch. think i'm
1: still Yeah, I think I'm still recovering from From COP26, (laughs) from Glasgow, and I can't quite believe it was was three years ago, two years ago. I can't can't work it out now. Isn't that shocking? Um, But I really felt so much kind of hope and inspiration and aspiration throughout the COP, and I think now I feel like the kid that's woken up to a lump of coal on Christmas morning.
0: Hmm, That's not good. Um, Well, okay, let me try and put some of this into perspective. I think um, one of the important takeaways is the COP twenty eight text, the sort of agreed uh, text which the, the various uh, parties have to have to agree to, and which is taken forward. This is the first time we've seen at any of these conferences makes reference to moving away from fossil fuels. Now there was a whole lot of debate around whether it should be phasing down, ideally phasing out, and instead what we got. Really was a transitioning away. So make of that what you will. I think that's, I think that's a step forward. What I'm concerned about is the text that precedes it, which talks about. So initially there was rumors it was just going to say could. So as a, a sort of preface to all of this, you could do this. Like you could, you could be a professional footballer. You know, you could, uh, you could sing on you know main stage at Glastonbury. Instead, it now calls on, but it doesn't demand. It doesn't require. So, I mean, there's a lot that's going to fall out of this, and I'm sure we'll do an analysis episode in the new year because it's so fresh. But I think it's a bit of those sort of two steps forward, one step back affair. My, If I'm going to be super optimistic and positive, it's that the wheels didn't fall off at a fossil fuel cop. It's in the UAE. You know, I do think that that is important. We We, we keep this show on the road, whether you like it or not. <laughs>
2: And there was there was interest and I think there was some useful progress and what felt like more meaningful buy-in around loss and damage, which is something that we made big pledges around at COP twenty-six in Glasgow. Mm. Um, but never the the kind of the the level of, of spending that governments internationally were supposed to commit to never materialized anywhere near how much it was meant to whereas this year feels a little bit more like okay we're, we're sort of bought into the idea now let's let's make it happen mm. in practice so I think that's uh, that's that's positive what what matters is that it's backed with action that it's not just another one of those could could you please if it please you you know, I mean, it it was, they
0: kind of, they opened COP28, uh, the the presidency opened COP28 with this big announcement, you know, we've got loss and damage dealt with, you know, uh, rich developed countries are going to compensate the poorer ones for for all the, you know, the the, the damaging effects of climate change, which are effectively a result of developed countries' addiction to Mm -hmm. carbon and historic emissions. And I think as the details have have come on again, we're still making sense of this, but a lot of the the actual contributions that, that rest upon that financially are, are maybe not as sizable as, as one would hope we've kind of dealt with cop 28 in t- just to to a very minor degree there um we'll return to this highlights and low lights geez i mean uh we, i i gave myself a certain amount of time to get through this and then just it felt like it was a kind of self-therapy exercise um so i've got a long list but becky i think you were the first to it what what have you got here in the stocking
1: well, I can see, I can see my, my list starts with a highlight, but I think I might flip that around and, and sort of share my low light because I think for me, it really leads on from what we were just saying around COP28. And it's really about, I guess, the lack of action that we've just seen um, from our current government. And specifically, like top of my mind is the feeling that energy efficiency, which is going to be such a critical part of us reaching net zero, seems to be just moving further and further down that priority list. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was remembering the Powering Up Britain report that came out, was it in March this year? I can't believe it was that long ago. And I just, I was reeling from that for for weeks, maybe even months about just the, the sheer lack of focus on how we're going to get, you know, transition our heating away from fossil fuels to clean heating, and even more so what we're going to be doing about all of our homes that need retrofitting um, to be made more energy efficient and i know that you know there's lots of stuff going on at the local level at the community level but it just felt like strategic action plans anything vision from government is completely lacking in this space
0: it's it's like a a street or two or three streets a day that need retrofitting really in order for us to, to hit many of these these targets so it's not, it's not a house-by-house house approach. It's a street-by-street. Street. And that's only if you deal with the you know, carbon emissions. If, what we're now dealing with is a second winter of crippling energy bills. Fraser, you rightly pointed out in the last episode, maybe you just text me, um, about, <laughs> <laughs> about energy bills going up 5% again in January and here we are. So I, I think for me, I, I think government, ha- I was willing to give government maybe the benefit of the doubt for last winter, you know, here, here comes a major, you know, uh, energy crisis, um, getting that retrofit supply chain up and running to to, to insulate homes. But then hey, we were a second winter now. And I don't know how, how, many, how many folk have you met who've had their loft lag, you know, through subsidy and support from government
1: there is no supply chain. No. There is. And there isn't. And it's the flip-flopping of government policy that has just dwindled numbers. And, you know, it's all well and good to say that we've got aspirations for th- for this, but unless we've got strong long term strategies from government, the investment is just not going to come in behind it and industry is not going to get in behind mm. it. Either. No,
2: absolutely. I think I think that kind of that point of almost giving government benefit of the doubt, I think they've lost it. I, I don't think they get I, I feel so fed up with it. I don't think it's it's worth giving any more I think it's about sort of pushing and and advocating as strongly as possible for for detailed delivery and and solutions because there's no reason you couldn't have been horsing on with yep. this save for complete ineptitudes and or disinterest.
0: Well we we're now a decade in from from the yeah. uh, the the cuts major cuts to well yeah. Cut the green crap—the kind of infamous line. So, so now, in my view, it falls to the next government. Now, that might be a reincarnation of this government. I think, if you believe the polls, it won't be, and it'll be a different government will form from a different party or parties. And at that point, the question is, well, what's in those manifestos around retrofitting our homes and making them snug, warm, affordable, and healthy? and and labor for instance are going are going big on this uh, if you see some of the their announcements around this and and as i understand it seriously considering a neighborhood by neighborhood retrofit approach so i do think there is a silver lining to this but if we if we can't prioritize um, energy efficiency during a multi year energy crisis. No, I don't I know when agree. we can.
1: But I will now flip to something a little bit more positive.
0: Something positive, please. That really was a lump yeah. of coal to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> really. Satsuma, please. I, Satsuma, well, I think, please. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that the lump of coal has, like, re- from government has really stimulated a lot of great efforts from community groups, from um, individuals, from local councils with action in this and related areas. And, you know, maybe we wouldn't have seen such great and ambitious action if you know, there hadn't been such resistance from government and like we've had so many amazing episodes that we've done recently that have highlighted this. One of the very recent ones we had Emma Fletcher on talking about her work with Swarth and Pryor. And, you know, it was just so exciting to hear about how as a community they really pulled together and have done something quite transformational. A lot of really yeah. amazing examples of that kind of community, um, aspiration and dedication.
0: So I, I, I- I keep having flashbacks to David Cameron in 2010-2011 about his this notion of a big society, which was kind of, it was ridiculed a bit at the time. And I th- I, I think if, if I make sense of w- some of the agenda there, which was about shrinking the state and about putting many of those, I mean, that, that was austerity in effect. Um, you, you can argue about the reasons for it, but that was the, the outcome, shrinking the state, particularly local authorities have seen their budgets cut year on year since then. And I guess the underlying logic of, of a big society was that those public services would be picked up and dealt and delivered as sort of civic or civil services through these third sector grassroots organisations. And I think actually what we've ended up is is having something akin to that now. But that's exactly how it happens. A lot of these initiatives have have evolved or
2: innovated purely out of necessity in the in the face of massive barriers
0: because support
2: doesn't exist for for the people around them, for for their own for their own communities in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of some some of these things, you know, have have gone further, on they're on a bigger a bigger scale. But when we you think about some community level action, particularly around supporting people, maybe less about big projects like Swaff and Prior, but around supporting people directly, you know, around fuel poverty and energy efficiency. That's similar to, you know, this, this idea that charity is a failure of government. It's a very, very similar premise.
0: Right. Okay. Who's going next? Who's going to have a rummage in the uh, Christmas stocking? Coal or Satsuma, Fraser?
2: Um, I think I'll go with the same order. I think I'll start with coal. Quite quite fitting. It's it's fossil fuel specific, actually. So we had, well, I, I guess there's, there's two sides to mind. The first is we've already touched on it, is that the energy, energy crisis, energy bills are still through the roof. We are now at a point where supplier debt, as in the debt that, households have with suppliers on their energy bills is at record levels over 2.6 billion pounds and against you know the the backdrop of lots of over 30 suppliers in the last two years collapsing completely that's that's quite an alarming amount of money for for suppliers to um to be to be owed from households and it's a lot of debt for households to be in also record levels of self-disconnection over the summer not over the winter of people who can't pay for the bills over summer this year um so i guess that that frustration that there was some support last year, last winter, and it was welcome. But we've we've moved the conversation on completely, despite the fact that this is still very much for millions of people the main thing happening in their lives and the main source of of adversity in their lives as well. So I think that the scale of this crisis, it's rolling on and it's snowballing and getting bigger, and we're kind of just pretending that it's not happening anymore. And I think that's that's really really concerning. Um, but we 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 know this, right? We we know this stuff already. I think the the second. The second lump of coal was the announced closure of Grangemouth in Scotland, mm-hmm. the, the oil refinery in, in Scotland. And the, the reason for that is not necessarily that we're stopping refining oil. It's that we've we've given up big licks in Scotland about how we're just transition leaders uh, yeah. globally, how we've got all these plans to support people in high-carbon jobs into low-carbon jobs and make sure that communities aren't left behind the way that they were left, left behind in the coal transition. Um, and we have clearly just failed to put the right skills, the right training, the right new opportunities in place to, to make sure that happens. So that is really, really frustrated me. And I know Becky, you've been doing so much Scottish-based just transition work, skills, supply chains. It must, it must frustrate you as well.
1: It's so infuriating. Yeah, it just it feels like a lot of this is just. An- I'll tell you what's re- what really is my bugbear is, like, there is so much knowledge that we've built up in the academic community around how to do this stuff well. And just none of that is translating through into action, you know? We know that when you're making these big changes, you want to, to do things with people, take these participatory approaches. There is opportunities to support to support those people and, re- and really, like, you know, engage them in the process. And none of that is happening. Everything's just being done to communities. Like, yeah, obviously, you've talked about Grangemouth here, but there has been, you know, so many other examples. With like, take the hydrogen village as well. Done to people <laughs> they didn't want. Yeah, didn't want <laughs> to see it. And no, no surprise. It was a failure. And you know, we could probably drum up heaps more of these. So I think that's really challenging. I think you brought up skills as well. And um, you know, the other thing that I really do struggle with is that there are we we know a lot of the the skills that are needed i mean we know a lot from the coming back to energy efficiency and clean heating right because it's a massive challenge at the moment like we know what those what what they are but there's no really good incentives or support mechanisms to get people into them and all of this while it might manifest and be delivered locally has to come from national strategic priorities and again we're just not seeing this kind of joined up thinking
0: Big lump of coal that Fraser. Thanks. So I'm going to go Satsuma, <laughs> <Yeah>. please. What, <laughs> Here's what satsuma, got? A, what yeah. else have you got to it's lighten actually, the mood?
2: It's a it's a little bit of a, I guess an an upside of of that type of story. And it's you, Les. We'll all remember you, Les. We'll all be sick of hearing in the phrase you, Les. Well, we should the, unpack
0: um, it for the uninitiated. The, the
2: ultra low emission zones um, in London. That yep. were the in London the dominant theme of the the Oxbridge and Ryslip by-election. The, the idea was that ULES, this ultra-low emission zone, was a policy proposed by the the Labour uh, local government, a policy proposed by the Labour candidate to effectively you know, reduce emissions from combustion engines, particularly older diesel vehicles driving in and around the area of Uxbridge and Ryslip. And they... The national press after the, the Labour candidate lost, when they were very much expected to win, the national press picked us up and ran with the story that it was the US that, that caused it. It massive backlash. People don't want to see your silly green policies. You're trying to penalize yeah. people. It was what demonized, actually happened, wasn't
0: it? Completely demonized. Uh, completely, press, completely. Yeah. It was
2: Massively. it was it was hung out and held up, particularly by, you know, your GB News and your Telegraph and your Daily Mail, as look, people reject your net zero agenda. But what we saw in the days and weeks after that wasn't a rejection of net zero, actually support for net zero, which is at an all-time high, remained at that all-time high. But what we saw, and I think for me, what was really, really interesting about this and quite encouraging, was an actual robust public discussion about yeah. fairness in the in the energy and in the net zero transition in a way that I don't think we've had that discussion before. Now, it was tough and it was crabby and it was you know, it wasn't always pretty and it wasn't always clear cut. Oh, we're on the right of it. We want it fair and fluffy and nice and rainbows and unicorns. But we got into the detail of a conversation that I think we need to be, you know, two feet studs up getting into. Now we've done the high level stuff. We've done the, should we do it? Now it's, let's get into the, the nitty gritty of how we do it. And I quite liked, even though it wasn't pretty, that that's where that conversation went to. I don't know, Matt. I know you, Les, is on your list as well. So I don't know. I mean,
0: you, it's fine. You, you've eaten my satsuma and that's okay. Um, what, what, I, what I will say, I'll, the only thing I'll add to that, you you put it more eloquently than I would have, is I think two things happened. Not only did the, the net zero agenda and associated with that, the just transition agenda, um, take a big step forward and, and wasn't you know knocked on its ass, as it were, uh, as it were um, and it was stronger for it, we actually ended up with a policy that did some, some did some real good. And I think from mm-hmm. September, this was reported in the Guardian, but this, I think, was um, figures from uh, the Greater London Authority, I believe. So here they said it said about 77,000 uh, or 45% fewer non-compliant cars and vans, these are the dirty ones, were detected on an average day in September, the first month of operation of the expanded ULEZ, or low emission zone, compared with June 2023. So you've got, I know it's, this is one day and, and we'll see, you know, it'll take a number of months if we will return to this to see the actual impacts it's had, but we've got cleaner streets according to this anyway. So, um, we also can't, we cannot miss the underlying logic that was associated with that. And also how people were able to connect the logic of that with, um, you know, a demonstrable and tangible benefit, which is cleaner air i don't i haven't met a londoner yet who likes dirty air (laughs) and poor i don't know how by the way
2: anyone listening in london i don't know how you guys walk around breathing that stuff it's like soup it's Mm. how how do you how do you get on the subway and come out alive how does that happen you breathe in have you ever have you ever traveled down and traveled back to scotland and then like blown your nose you know, when you get sort of past Birmingham or so.
0: Well, you you know, but I mean, Glasgow Glasgow has some of the filthiest streets in Europe. You know, Hope sure. Street, and and that's why we've had our low emission zone. And I think that's also another part of this. We had our, our own separate debate about the, the the virtues of this and who gets impacted, and and we've ended up with the policy, and it, you know, it's still there six months later. So again, I think we should we should do an episode on low emission zones and what impacts they've had. Actually, uh, so I'm just just noting that down.
2: Sure. I think I think we should. And I think that's but that 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 discussion is is exactly right. There was a, an initial discussion of oh, you know, we they want to penalize drivers with the the ultra low emission zone. They're trying to it's going to cost low income people however many hundreds or thousands of of pounds and it's going to cripple the the local economy. We were having discussions yeah. about well actually if you clean up the air, this is the the benefits in terms of equality, you know, health health impacts, pollution aren't felt equally either. Here's the benefits okay. to the NHS. Here's the benefits of, of a of of less pollution in general. And I think having those discussions, getting into the bones of them, I think that's a, a positive
0: development to that yeah, public agree.
2: consciousness to be at that level. I think is a, a really positive thing.
0: Hundred percent. Saying this with a fear that you may eat another one of my satsumas.
2: <laughs> Have you got anything else in your stocking or not? Is that it? No, that's everything. That's everything. Are you some sure? personal stuff, I guess. But let's let's stay with that.
0: Well, yeah, it has been a big year, doctor. So, congratulations! A father, a doctor, and as I understand it, somebody who's able to drive a vehicle around the streets of Forfa legally now. So, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Joined vehicle,
3: the. <laughs>
2: no, I, I actually I joined the anti ulez campaign. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm also campaigning for all school zones to be abolished.
0: Yeah, quite right. Quite right. Okay, right. I'll have a run (laughs) in. What's in the stocking? So, well, I did have yes. I I I won't rehash all of that point that you've made. What I would say, this is, I guess, the a little bit of an antidote. This is my Satsuma, bit of an antidote to Becky's point around um, slow progress and energy efficiency. Actually, 2023 was the year of accelerated uptake and deployment of. Subsidy-free solar, rooftop solar, electric vehicles, and, and we've covered this a number of times, and I'm thinking many of the listeners have been part of this, the demand flexibility service, aka the saving sessions, turn it down and get paid for not consuming your power during dinner time when the kids are really hungry. So so that, those are three real positive things. I'll just put some, some numbers to this, because I, whilst I'm not really a numbers man, I do like <laughs> I think you need them to make make, make these things make sense. Uh, on solar... Pref- professor by, of
2: business, no? Professor
0: <laughs> of <professor laughs> numbers. Mr.
1: Um, graphs and charts.
0: <laughs> I, do like, I do like a chart, like a killer stat. Um, on solar, by the end of August 2023, we'd installed as much rooftop solar in the UK as for the whole of 2022. And we're back... Wow we're back baby. We're back to basically, uh, pre not pre-subsidy, pre-subsidy cut levels. So when the feed-in tariff was cut, we're kind of back around those levels. So, so in the intervening years, solar has got cheaper and it's now, uh, and also crucially the other factor, electricity has got more expensive. So the payback for many people has been worth it. On EVs, 16% of all new cars, uh, being bought this year, the year, year to date are EVs with total sales up 28%. So pe- you know, people it's, m- you're more likely to pass a house with an EV on the drive and solar on the roof than you were this time last year. Like not, not like not a lot more likely, but they're out there. And the final point about the demand flexibility service, um, we delivered over the 22 events enough electricity to power nearly 10 million households that would have, that power that would have been used during those peak periods. So the kind of the, the turn down then created a headroom of 10 million households worth of electricity during those peak periods. Now, I do think that's worth emphasizing, that how we're consuming energy in the home and how we're commuting or getting around for, for leisure and pleasure by our cars is changing and it's and, it, and we're at the beginning of this upward curve so fast forward five years and I, I just think the landscape looks completely different so this was the year the year so there you go that's a big fat satsuma for you both um and
3: well
1: <laughs> it is, it isn't it isn't see i like i i feel like these are really amazing stats but I think with a lot of them, the devil's going to be in the detail of, of what it actually means. Coming back to this kind of fairness issue, because who are the people that are installing solar? Who are the people that are purchasing new EVs? And yeah, and who are the people that are able to be rewarded yeah. for the DFS? 100%. So I'm not saying any of that's a bad thing. I think you're right; it's all a great thing. But I think that as we start to see this, you know, prolifer- uh, proliferate into across the UK in years to come, we just need to be so careful that like there's not a divide created and people are left behind
0: i couldn't agree more it's the sharp elbowed middle class i'm basically referring to myself here um the folk who are lucky enough to, to own <laughs> own their own homes you know and they have a driveway so they you know they i mean i don't have an ev got plug-in hybrid um poor man's ev so <laughs> second hand <laughs> as well I, I aspire to be the man with the the in fact, I've got one on the drive as a courtesy car right now because my other one broke down. So I'm, I'm <laughs> pretending to be the person I want to be for two or three days. Um, but I completely agree, Becky. Like, you know, a lot of this stuff is only attainable for, for folk who can unilaterally make the decision to put solar on their roof and afford it, that have a driveway and can access, uh, you know, cheapest chips tariff at, at night, yeah. who have a smart meter um, and also have the flexibility. And, and maybe the appliances at home to turn down their power consumption for the for the demand flexibility service. All of that raises really fundamental justice questions, and I think they're just going to get bigger and louder. So good news initially, but yes, yeah, so you've you've tempered my Satsuma sorry, a little bit there. Sorry, but,
1: Matt, give us another Satsuma.
0: <laughs> no, I haven't. That was it. I only had one. <laughs> no, no. <this year.
1: laughs> uh,
0: no, I think I had a couple. of uh, Fraser <laughs> mentioned. So w- what I would say. Okay, I'm gonna give you a lump of coal which I will magically transform into a satsuma. Um do we have a ratio? Do we have a count of satsuma to coal here? I feel well, like one to one, I think. It's, yeah, it's very, that was the, it's very the quota coal-y. <laughs> um rations <laughs> okay. this year. So, it doesn't feel
2: that way. Yeah.
0: Um well I, I was in terms of lump of coal. I just to note 2023, I, I believe, uh was the hottest year on record, but I'm not gonna go into that because I think that's just kind of too big and too depressing right now. What I will flag is the demise of Twitter. Now, it doesn't feel like that's particularly climate-y or energy, but it is. So I, I was a big user, I know Fraser has been, and probably continues to be, but I felt that in the years, in the late 2010s and early 2020s, and particularly during lockdown, that was a really, really important community to transfer as well information. And I learned so much during that period. I also watched a lot of cat videos that I, I regret now, but you know, the, the, some of the time was very well spent and there was a very tight knit community. And I am I, kind of connected with a lot of people who I ended up meeting in person and learning a lot from. And that was blown apart this year, completely blown apart. I mean, it's been in the offing f- for a little while, but, and I, f- I felt a bit, um, I don't know, at at a loss as a result, I feel like I'm not ingesting some of the information that I once was from the people that I respect and, you know, really enjoyed the commentary from. So bad news. Good news is that I think that community has been decanted elsewhere, and I'm seeing green shoots on other platforms like Blue Sky. I also think it's forced people to connect in other ways, not through social media, and to, to maybe go a bit more old school, actually, uh, uh, and particularly, you know, in a kind of post-COVID, he says, knowing how many people he knows who've got COVID currently, but in-person events. So I don't know. I- I'm I'm just, I'm flagging that it's really important to have these platforms and these links for this information. And I feel like during COP28, I haven't quite been on top of it in the way I maybe was for COP26 yeah. when Twitter was, I would say, at its kind of climate peak, really.
2: Yeah. I, I agree with that. I, I, I'm with you, Matt. I haven't been on, I haven't moved elsewhere, but I haven't been on on Twitter properly for, for months now. Partly it's having a tiny child at home to, to look after, yeah. but predominantly it's just so overwhelming. And I think the, the kind of the Musk effect has been rather than diversification or sort of pluralization of voices, it's very much hyperpolarization. Mm. It's mm-hmm. you need to have a super strong opinion to to gain any, any traction. And those are the opinions that you're faced with all the time. I can't bear scrolling some days. You're looking at it and you go, oh my yeah. God, the world's on fire and you know, the Middle East and all this stuff's going on. And it's just all the time. Um whereas I think these days, I'm very much with you as well, Matt, kind of much more picking up the phone to people, organizing coffees and chats and yeah. feel feel like you're missing out, still haven't overcome the FOMO on on one side but kind of feel a little bit more just nice and human and connected on the other, which is, yeah. well, I haven't felt this way in years. <laughs> I <laughs> felt like a person. For, so start I'm not sure Becky,
0: you lament, you lament the loss of it in the same way that we have.
1: Not at all. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so I like to think that you've raised this up, Becky, rather than, you know, We've we've sunk to your to your depths somehow. <laughs> it's a nicer place to be, probably.
0: I'm I'm positive with the way the thing th- things will go. The world is changing, and and that's okay. Um, but Elon Musk is not on my Christmas card list. Um, and he will be devastated about that. <laughs> I'm about to bring in um a little elf. Uh this is by the way, this is the it's most not Christmassy- Elon Musk,
2: is it? <laughs>
0: is that our special guest. Is that what you've been building up to? No, it's, it's, yeah. No, it wasn't a derogatory term, I should add. I've got nothing against the elf. <laughs> so so uh goodness, this is yeah, okay. So I am gonna bring in a little elf now. His, his name is Patrick, and he is our producer. Um welcome, Patrick. Hello. Is, is that your elf accent? Um, I should, um Patrick is here to help us play Christmas Bingo. Now, the rules of this, I think we concocted about three minutes before we recorded, but I think <laughs> they involve Patrick pulling out of an imaginary hat, a number and an episode name that relates to, drum roll please, our favorite episode of the year. And I should say, not of Coronation Street or... You know, whichever box set, blah blah blah, of local zero. So, Patrick, it is over. To, it is a great pleasure to have you here, and it is over to you to do the honors, please.
3: Thanks very much, man. Um, the hat is very much not imaginary either. There is a real it's, Christmas hat. It's a cup. Yes, <laughs> a cup. Yeah. <laughs> it's don't cup. ruin the festive spirit.
0: Man. <laughs> 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 I was a really hoping you yeah, had a little elf hat there. Sadly, not.
3: And the first episode is. Uh, One for you, I believe. It's kind of four in one. It's episode 67, 68, 72 and 73, which covers the entirety of the Carbon Offsetting for Communities miniseries. The Omnibus.
0: So, Yes.
2: Pick an episode, Matt, and he picks four. <laughs>
3: well,
0: yeah, I, I know, yeah. It's Christmas. Um, uh, okay, yeah, so so this was uh, one of my favourites, largely because, uh, probably not Patrick's, because he really helped me sort of cut this together, which was an absolute marathon. Um, but we had a two-day summit at the University of Strathclyde in March 20th, 2023, where we brought folk together to ask the question, What does carbon offsetting mean for communities? Now, there's there's a focus in Scotland um, primarily, but this is relevant to the UK. There's a lot going on in Wales, I might add. But there's huge swathes of land being bought up for carbon offsetting purposes, afforestation, peatland restoration. And this is only going to go one way, particularly if we're going to be sluggish around coming away from fossil fuels. Now, what it means for communities who are either co-located on these sites or, or adjacent to them is not clear. So I was really happy to dig into this. Um, there's a, a report forthcoming from this, um, but it was a big effort. And I just want to thank Patrick for all, of it, all his efforts. But if people want the, the the sort of idiot's guide to carbon offsetting, what it means for communities, check out the Omnibus. You, you will need to clear a whole weekend, I think, but it it's probably worth it.
3: Number two. Thank you, Elf. You're welcome. <laughs> just making sure I get the sound effect of the cup. <laughs> it's episode seventy four. How can our gardens protect the environment?
1: Oh, this is mine. This is mine. Okay. I love this episode, and um, and originally Matt grabbed it, and then he had to relent because not only did he have the four in one, it's but just yeah, just four. like Christmas when you get
0: <laughs> <laughs> on somebody else's present. Yeah,
1: I know, I know. So I was very excited to, to get this back. I absolutely loved this episode that we did with Kate Bradbury. And Kate is an author and journalist, but she really specializes in wildlife gardening. And what I especially loved about this episode was how real and tangible Kate made all of the actions and and tips to be. So it really felt like something that everybody could take part in whether you live in you know a mansion with acres of land or whether you live in a flat with just a window box there was something for everyone that you could do Um, and I also love the episode because I got some you know it felt like a bit of self-help I got some specialized tips and hints and I have to say this summer we managed to grow courgettes very successfully tomatoes successfully for the first time never managed to grow any in glasgow but they absolutely no. bloomed the, down the blight brilliant yeah exactly and chilies and uh, and my husband actually made his own chili sauce from all of the chilies he grew and wow. it was brilliant um so yeah absolutely can i come and live in cornwall episode. because
0: it sounds <laughs> like the garden of eden versus versus <laughs> the central belt <laughs>
1: say that like no garden no no homes where i live really have actual proper grass gardens because we're so coastal that the soil's not very good so we have yeah. we did all of this in um in little garden boxes so yeah absolutely a fantastic episode definitely worth checking well it out if you want something very very practical uh, that you, anyone can
3: do returning to the cup yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think the episode just after, episode 75, Rights Community Action.
2: Oh, that's mine. That's mine. That was a great episode. Another one of those episodes with really, really sort of tangible recommendations. So Rights Community Action, for, for anyone who's not aware or hasn't caught up on that episode just yet, um, is an organisation that supports uh, communities, people in places around the country to either... Advocate in local decision-making processes for, you know, exciting or ambitious net-zero projects, or to, or to um, fight against potentially harmful projects. So they've been very active in opposing fracking, for instance, at, at a local level. Mm-hmm. That was with uh, Naomi Lud Thompson, who is, um, who heads up Rights Community Action, who was telling us all about the kind of the processes that they go through to effectively train community organisations and, and people in communities. To stand up and you know, like in a town hall meeting about a, a planning application for a local wind farm, and and to make the case for why they think it's a good thing locally for the community, or to push for new sort of low carbon, affordable housing, whatever it might be, uh, really proper grassroots, ground up uh, building capacity, building expertise um, to to support people to take ownership of of their local areas, and I think mm-hmm. it's um yeah a really really excellent organisation. I distinctly remember Becky leaving that conversation feeling just massively massively energized i also think that was one of the episodes where it was raining and i was in my shed and we almost got flooded <laughs> that flooded out halfway through um, but apart from
3: that yeah amazing episode Just stuff
2: I like this format
3: episode 64 local zero live oh hey me again
2: yes <laughs> that was such my a own fit. That was a good one. And we identified the common theme in in these two episodes, my my two episodes, uh, were the absence of Matt Hannon. Which I don't <laughs> think is it happened last year when we did the um, purely incident. When we did the debrief. <laughs> it is, it is. We had some great episodes this year, Matt, as well. Just correlation is not causation, Fraser. You <laughs> should know that. <laughs> <laughs> Local Zero Live. So this was the Energy Smart Places Just Transition episode that Becky and I hosted at Energy Rev conference in London in March, I think it was, yep, wasn't March. It. It's going back a little bit now. Um, we had a really, really interesting Panel, a great collection of people with amazing insights. We had Karen Baras, Climate Insights, mm-hmm. Donald Brown, University of Sussex, Joanne Wade from ADE, Association for Decentralized Energy, and Ukirk, and Syed Ahmed from Community Energy London. And we talked all things kind of justice and local and community energy and the innovation happening around sort of making cities, towns, villages, places uh, smarter and, and a net zero. Another one of those. Examples, I think, of people working directly, whether at the coalface of—no pun intended—at the coalface of innovation on net zero, in terms of technology, in terms of business models, in terms of policy and regulation. To people like uh, Community Energy London, working directly in Mm -hmm. communities to bring people along on that journey. Another one of those real. Here's how we get our sleeves up and and get it done to make sure that it's fair and you know as far as prosperous to make sure that we're delivering. An energy system, at a net zero future that reflects the needs of people, um, and supports the realization of of social value, economic value, better homes, places, towns, workplaces, lives, uh, across the board. So yeah, a really, really, really fun event.
3: The penultimate one mm-hmm. is eighty-one Swaffham Prior. Oh.
1: That's me. Okay, this was a great episode. So this was an episode we recorded relatively recently, actually, with Emma Fletcher, who's now the uh, Low Carbon Homes Director at Octopus Energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and we talked a little bit about her work there, but we predominantly focused on what she had done in Swaffham Prior, which is a village in East Cambridgeshire, really around developing their own rural heat network. And I think what I really loved about this episode was just how inspirational it was and hearing emma talk about the way that you know folk came together and actually did something quite remarkable in line with with net zero and and address some of these massive clean heat transition challenges yeah i just felt really i think the reason i loved this was because i just felt so inspired by the action and it made me feel like this is actually achievable this can be done it's been done by this community against a number of real challenges, and why can't we all do this? So yeah, I, I love this episode because of how how ambitious and how inspiring it was.
3: And last but by no means least, seventy six water, water everywhere. Yeah. Now this
0: was this was a cracker. So we had Hugo Tagham along from Oceana. Really, he's been one of the loudest and I think most informed voices alongside Fergal Sharkey. About the state of our waterways, lakes, rivers, and our coastline, which is absolutely filthy at the moment and getting worse. And this is a classic example of underinvestment and underregulation, or poor regulation, and the privatization of essential networks, which which are you know livelihoods, our health depend on. It's not just not just drinking water but it's also about how we use these places for you know how communities use these places for whether it you know for fun for families for friends and um i i guess i came a bit like you fraser with the rights community action episode i came away from this thinking thank god somebody like hugo exists and is doing what they're doing because without people like him and without people like Phil or Sharkey, I tell you what we it wouldn't be on the front pages in the way it has been. And I have genuine hope that we can we can resolve this. It's going to require major intervention from the next government and uh, but I think the public are behind them. So well done, Hugo, happy Christmas to you. yeah.
3: yeah. And this elf shall reappear in two thousand twenty four.
0: Thank you, Elf. Yes, back back to the workshop, please. <laughs> Plenty of work to do. Be messing around here, All right? Thank you, Patrick. Lovely. So on onto our final segment. We look forward. We gaze into the crystal ball of 2024, and we have one opportunity for a final request from who I call Father Christmas, but I'm reliably informed by everybody in Scotland he's actually known as Santa. But so you you pick whoever it is. St. Nicholas, and you're able to choose one present for 2024, what what would you wish for? I should say this isn't just, like, this isn't an actual Christmas list. <laughs> <Christmas. laughs> it <be> like, yeah. <laughs> it's a battery electric vehicle or a trip to California. Um, it, it, it relates squarely to kind of climate and energy. So mine is, it kind of follows some of the, some of the points
2: that we raised earlier with our, our satsumas in particular. And I think it's predominantly it's details, details, details and a little bit, a lot of bit of action. So we've talked an awful lot, right? There's there's still a lot of talking to do to make sure that we keep sort of net zero and we keep these conversations around justice and fairness and, and how we realistically achieve it at the top of the agenda. I don't imagine it's going anywhere soon, um, but important to make sure that we're on the front foot with that conversation. But I think what we really, really need now is to move on from the hypothetical side of things. I think we're settled, right? Do we do it? Do we not? We have to do this. We know we have to get this done. I think the time is now to put the the detail behind warm words, whether that's us collectively, Local Zero listeners, a lot of people who work in this space on a day-to-day basis, uh, putting the detail behind those words and, crucially, uh, putting the action behind them as well. It's one thing talking about it like we do here every couple of weeks. Um, it's another thing getting the sleeves up and, and getting it done. So that's partly a challenge and partly the the gift that I would like for 24.
1: I want to see radical action to help people decarbonize their home so energy efficiency clean heating as priorities i want to see a really strong vision and strategy from our government we we know what needs to be done we have the evidence that needs to be done i think pretty much everyone other than government is very clear on what what needs to be done but we need to see that long-term vision and strategy um and We need to see that aligned with investment and support from a lot of these big companies who have a stake in the game. Energy networks, even energy retailers, um, electricity retailers have a massive stake in this game, hugely intertwined with the the broader decarbonisation agenda. So I would like to see a lot more coordinated action and a lot more strategic action from those big, powerful players.
0: Very good. And I wholeheartedly agree. Mine is much sort of mushier and more Christmas-like in that my request for next year is more local zero. Why? Well, I think 2023 has been the year that we've finally landed on a real nice balance of different issues that cut right across the climate and energy spectrum that I'm hoping, if people look through the episode list this year, there's something for everybody. And there's something for everybody that relates squarely back to how they can lead more sustainable lives and how they can empower others to do that in their neighborhood and beyond. Now, I'm not going to go into a funding plea here. We've already done that, but we are Mm -hmm. looking at how we keep this going. And I think it's really important to have these platforms because I've learned a tremendous amount. I've taken a lot of the the, the insights away into my own work and I've, that'd be through educational research or working with, uh, with practitioners. Um, but we have a real, a really engaged and solid listenership who I know are listening to this too. So, um, yeah, if we can keep this going, I think the only way is up. And uh, 2024, hopefully, is a year that we we figure out what that next chapter looks like. So, yeah, as I said, very warm and mushy end, but hopefully it's a good one. So, I think on that note, we should thank our listeners. I think, what? Oh, whoop, hold not, up. Is there a Christmas surprise? Not yet. There's
2: a my my son agrees this is a very exciting Christmas surprise. Is it a new
0: host? Just,
3: it is, yeah. <laughs> yes. My my big surprise been given the heave ho. Is, is, is this is how it happens?
0: <laughs> oh, heave ho ho. Uh, Terrible pun.
2: It's not a it's not a new host. You'll be sad to hear. It is, however, because it's Christmas, oh, and because you've been so good this year, it is Future or fiction. Fantastic. <laughs> Give the people what they want. We have to. We okay. we have to. We have to.
0: You, you so may have to you may have to remind our listeners it's been so long. <laughs> you
1: may have yeah. to remind us it's been so long.
0: Yeah. So
2: future or fiction for the uninitiated is a game where I present our esteemed hosts, Matt and Becky with uh, an innovative net zero based technology and they have to decide if it's real, if they think it's the future, or if it's fiction, in which case they think I have completely made it up. So this year's festive future or fiction innovation is called On a One Horse Solar Sleigh. It's not my best, but <laughs> but we're going with it. So we all know that Santa is super concerned about the climate crisis. That's why he's, he no longer puts coal in stockings. He's, he's gone net zero. But how about this? Researchers have developed a fully solar-powered hot air balloon, which could help Santa with more environmentally friendly deliveries. The balloon uses a special fabric along with standard solar panels attached to the sides to capture solar power and power internal jets. To keep the balloon afloat, do we think it's future or do we think it's festive fiction?
0: Oh, it's a good one. It's a goody. <laughs> the
2: the the Santa reference is gratuitous and completely irrelevant.
0: Yeah,
3: it's
0: <laughs> it, it's one of the weaker segues we've had. But yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Becky, what do you think? Help me out here.
1: I mean, I'm inclined to believe this, actually, because I know and I've seen I've seen research articles, can't remember for the life of me where, but I know that I've read them about, um, you know, more flexible solar panels, solar being able to be weaved into all different sorts of things. And so kind of on that basis alone, I feel like I'm inclined to believe um, that this is possible I guess for me, like the, the thing I'm thinking about is just the amount of energy that one might need to actually power up that much hot air. Also, I'm not somebody that's ever ridden in a hot air balloon, but what happens if the sun suddenly disappears? Do you just, mm. <laughs> <laughs> is there any
0: backup? Like the, like the opposite of Icarus. Like
3: just... Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're we just going to yeah. see all these balloons falling out the sky.
0: It's a pretty major health warning, isn't it? Yeah, I don't okay. think you thought
1: through the health and safety on this.
0: No, I figure if mm. okay, right. So this is this is my take. It's not dissimilar. I guess pros. Let's begin with the positives. I think you can, well, you do have, you, you mentioned the the fabric itself was, you know, solar type. So I do know you have organic photovoltaic cells and you can print these out. I think there's applications where they can be, uh, you know, pended to a T-shirt or cap or whatever. So that's not, like, completely mad. Hanging off solar panels around the basket, not going to help a great deal. I also wonder, like, how big this thing is. Like, this could be tiny. Like, this mm-hmm. could be, like, four... Well, not for mice we, we, or something. Well, I mean, this is i don't know. Maybe our maybe our elf Patrick is Le- yeah, very people. small. Could <laughs> would be light and small enough to be lifted into into space. I'm not getting in. <laughs> <laughs> Took offence at to that. So I'm 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 out. I think it's 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 a no. But. I can imagine a route where we get here and it might be that you need a kind of blimp sized, I don't know, there'd be physicists listening to this thinking, shut up, but <laughs> maybe if you've got, <laughs> maybe if you had like, you know, a balloon that was the size of Cornwall or, or even Yorkshire and one basket that was, you know, could lift a mouse or an elf, then yeah. Possibly.
1: But I don't What think, are you is this talking about? Talking about? <laughs> a minute, Matt. You can put solar panels on the roof of a home to the point of like powering your home, including, you know, ignition for hot water, like the equivalent of hot water, right? Yeah,
0: you you were the one who was ruling it out. I'm I'm just I'm just following. I'm, just, I for... mean, I, I, I'm I just in your I don't slipstream.
2: If you I a balloon, I don't know you could power a balloon the size of Yorkshire, but I don't think you need to. In any scenario. Well, you're going to put me out
0: of misery anyway. Uh, hopefully that I'm right, but Becky, I'm, 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 I'm out. I'm out. Like Duncan Bannatyne out, right? Becky, over <laughs> to you, right?
1: I think I'm in. Oh. you've been so sneaky in your wording. So I think, I think I'm in. I think I okay. think this is the future.
2: Becky's going future, Matt. It's going fiction. Sticking by it. Fiction.
0: Radical fiction.
2: The answer radical fiction the answer is it's fiction oh well Matt you you're kind of spot on and I think Becky if you'd stuck to it you were the I, so there are hot air balloons that have solar weaved into the balloon itself and harness that but they're still very much powered by propane you can't you can't power a, a hot air balloon not that I, I found in my 10 minutes of research this morning uh, through Solar Alone, sadly. I actually saw the idea on a really terrible Channel Five Christmas film.
0: Uh, <laughs> research is- channel 5. That's when it's started. Your- <laughs> it's
2: yeah. your
0: research channel for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. My goodness. Well, if any funders have heard that, we'll we ought to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Well, thank you, Fraser. It was good to have um, Future of Fiction back.
2: Merry Christmas.
0: Merry Christmas to you all. And a Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Thank you for listening this year. Thank you so much for supporting us. Um, Thank you to our guests for actually enabling us to pick your brains and learning a few things. And a huge thank you to Bespoken Media, to uh, the whole team, Patrick and Dave and and Karis as well for supporting us through this because without you, we would not have a pod. So a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. all
1: of you. You've been listening to Local Zero. The number one way you can help this pod is to share it with someone you think might like it. So if there are any other climate change or energy geeks out there that you think would like Local Zero, please do recommend us. And if you are still listening right now, please do take two seconds to rate and review us. This helps us reach new listeners and climb the podcast charts. Let's keep local climate action firmly in the public agenda
0: absolutely and if you're still on x or twitter please you can tweet your thoughts to us we're still there and we're still listening at local zero pod we also love our emails from listeners at localzeropod@gmail.com. at gmail.com
2: but for now thank
0: you goodbye
2: and we'll see you in 2024